broker comes to my office with an issue and says, what should I do? My first response is, what's the right thing to do? And they usually can answer that. And if they can't and they don't know, then we try to work together and figure out what the right thing to do is because reputation, you know, years to build, seconds to break. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. This is the Broker Lord Podcast, and I'm your host, Derek Walchek. I'm a commercial broker and developer, and I love real estate. That's why we're here. I'm on a quest to talk to 50 brokers in 50 states who've made the transition into ownership. I want to hear their stories, to learn from their mistakes, and help all of us make more money in every real estate transaction. If you're a broker looking to add rental income to your portfolio, this is the podcast for you. Here, we talk about structuring deals, knowing when to make your move, and how to find the deals that could define your career. Not a real estate professional? No worries. We're glad you're here because much of this can benefit you in any line of business. So go on, hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with the Broker Lord podcast. And be sure to stick around because at the end, I'll tell you how to get some really cool swag absolutely free. That's right, free stuff. So stick around. But first, a word from our sponsor because they're the ones who make the podcast possible. The Broken Lord podcast is brought to you by the commercial real estate professionals at Shannon Walchak. Currently, Shannon Walchak is seeking unanchored retail strip centers and growing metro markets in the South and Midwest. With $75 million in buying power, Shannon Walchak is ready to close on the right properties. The ideal centers are between 10 and 40,000 square feet, are located in affluent neighborhoods, have a high concentration of service and food tenants, and can be bought at a seven cap or better. Do you have a center that fits this profile? Then Derek Walchak wants to talk to you Email DW at shanwalt.com. That's DW at S H A N W A L T dot com. On this episode, we're going to the great state of Arizona. Our guest is Jonathan Rosenberg. John's a broker, manager, and co founder of Lev Rose Commercial in Phoenix. Under his leadership, Lev Rose has been repeatedly recognized as a top 25 real estate firm in Phoenix, as well as a top 10 small commercial brokerage firm in Arizona. All right. Welcome, uh, John Rosenberg, co-owner in Lev Rose Commercial in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, give me some basic stats about Lev Rose Commercial. Sure, sure. So we started in 1992, um, myself and my business partner. Uh, decided to start a brokerage firm. Uh, back then, it was just two of us, folding table, small office, couple phones. And 26 years later, we are um, we we're just ranked number 12 in the Business Journal, Phoenix, um, top commercial brokerage firms. We have about 20, 22, 23 brokers. Um, for salespeople, we have uh, a, f- a full marketing team, support staff. Uh, we our, our sister company is called Mode Commercial Real Estate Management Services, which is our uh, – Leveros actually had a, a property management arm, and we split that off, uh, brought in another partner in uh, 2006. So that firm manages about – 75, 80 properties, mm-hmm. uh, commercial properties around Metro Phoenix. What's the square footage of that? A couple million. Okay. Um, so all told, there's about 50 people between both wow. firms. So. so the so the property management resides solely in that firm and the Lev Rose is, is essentially a brokerage firm? Correct. Yeah. They're completely sole and separate. 
um, companies, you know, some common ownership mm-hmm. in both, but uh, we do have a different partner structure in either in okay. both companies. One of the things we're trying to understand on the Broker Lord podcast is paths to ownership and, and how do how does a, a broker who's just basically practicing and, and receiving fees, how do they make the transition into some ownership? Why don't you tell me the story about your first building uh, sure. that you were able to buy? Sure, sure. So, you know, when we started out, we were actually in the back of somebody else's office, two-room suite. Uh, one of my business partner's friends uh, had a copy machine, <laughs> and we didn't even have a copy machine. I mean, we had a fax, an old fax or whatever it was, and we didn't even have a copy machine. So, we started doing some transactions and we did a couple of them and we would go over to his office and make copies. So we got to know him. His name was Chuck and we'd go over and see Chuck and, and make copies. And, and, uh, at one point when we were over there talking, he said, you know, I I'm starting to think I want to sell my building over here. And it was a small little office, 1300 square foot office in downtown old town, Scottsdale, like right across the street from where we were. And so we started talking to him and he kind of talked about pricing and, and we looked at each other and we said, well, maybe we should try to buy this and, you know, it'd be an investment for us. We can move our offices into it. And that's what we did. Time after time, I hear this kind of story. John found out about a property because of relationships, business organizations, civic clubs, church, the YMCA, or just talking to friends and family. Brokers must be plugged into the community and not just to hear about opportunities for deals, but to actually help people. When you're in the process of helping people, I find that that is a lot of times when people help you and you find deals. It's not just enough to have a website or a business listing. You've got to create that front of mind awareness that leads to buyers and sellers reaching out. In this case, John used his relationship to find a building for his growing business, but it didn't stop there. Because of his personal relationship with the seller, John was able to get even more. What was really the great part about it is he was willing to do a seller carryback. Nice. So for us, new business, um, not a lot of cash, uh, not a lot of credit, we were able to go in there and buy a building basically using him as the bank. Did you remember how much you had to put down or did you put anything? Not down? much. We put we put some money down. I'm going to I'm just going to use a, a number. I'm I'm thinking we paid like $100,000 for this building okay. and maybe we put down, you know, 5. Nice. You know, and it was just more of a handshake. You know, I mean, we Good obviously faith. signed papers and did all the right things legally and, and used title company and all that stuff to do it. But, uh, you know, from his standpoint, he he wanted the recurring revenue income. He knew us. He, he was known my business partner for several years. So he had a, a confidence that, that he wasn't going to get the building back. And he was right. So um, where did how did the idea come to do owner financing? My business partner, uh, he's was pretty creative in okay. that type of stuff. He was in the uh, title industry before, so he'd seen a lot of those things. And I had another transaction many years later where we did the same thing, where we had a situation where a seller really didn't want to cash out because he didn't owe anything on the building. He didn't really want to cash out because he didn't want to pay the taxes. He didn't want to have to find another building, maybe with a 1031 or anything like that. So by becoming the bank, it was a nice recurring revenue investment for him that he wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So this was like, we were talking about like 1990. Uh, this was 1990, one? probably 93. Your, the first deal. The first one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So fast forward for many, many years um, for, from that point on, we had a lot of relationships, property management, brokerage. Uh, we had a building, our management company was managing. And it was, at this point, was getting to be a, a couple that was a little bit older. 
They really weren't cash flowing on the building. It was becoming more of a nuisance for them, and they wanted to talk about possibly selling it. Since there was no income and it was a multi-tenant building, uh, it was a tough one. You know, for them, it was a retired couple who, you know, had successful businesses. This just wasn't the ideal situation. So hence why they wanted to sell it. The part about a seller carryback came to an idea when, as we were talking and we kind of came together, we, we started talking about a, a price that they could sell it for and we put it on the market. But they said, well, we really are fearing the, the, the tax the tax ramifications. So we sat down and said, well, look, at, at this price, which was, you know, at that, it was, gosh, this was probably, you know, near the downturn. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to guess this is probably about 08, 09. Yeah. Um, at this price, we'd be open to buying it. We know all the hair on it. So there's not going to be this horrible inspection because if anybody else goes through and finds all these things, they're going to ask for just a lot of credits, seller credits, mm-hmm. and they're going to beat you up. And we're willing to be, um, let you be the bank. Um, so what we did was we said, we'll go ahead and give you a big, big chunk of cash, you know, use it and enjoy it. Uh, we'll pay it off. And we promise you that we won't, will not pay it off for at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we put this together as a seller carryback situation. And again, knowing going in, we were going to be spending a lot of money. Right. You know, we knew that the AC units and in Arizona, air conditioning units are, you know, you you need air conditioning. There's, right. We don't have snow. We just have, we have a lot of sun. And we knew that those are going to, and there were multiple units. We knew that that every year we were going to be replacing one to two of those. And that's a, that's a costly endeavor. Uh, roof, um, we knew that there were some issues there. They'd been doing a lot of, uh, um, a lot of uh, uh, repairs and maintenance and things like that. And then we also knew there were a lot of tenants in there that were probably some of them below market, some of them have been there forever. So, you know, the handshake type deals. Oh so yeah, we knew there was going to be a lot of hair. Because so, in a building like that, a lot of times, you know, if the rents are deflated just because the seller's not willing to spend the money, right? You know, there's some value that can be created. Yes. Have you guys been able to slowly? So, you know, part of part of the issue, of course, um, it was the 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 leases that were in place, and some of those leases were not very favorable. Mm-hmm. But yes, over time, what we've slowly done is as the leases have turned, we've been able to fix up the suites, uh, increase the revenue, um, work on the um, expenses on the building. But it uh, really kind of has created, uh, little by little, I think the value, yes, the value's gone up and then the market has gone up. So so really, it's a, it's a combination of items that uh, if we did nothing, there probably wouldn't be much more value to that property other than the appreciation based on the market. Based and, on the market. And that has happened regardless. John touched on an important point. And this one is aimed at those who are listening and might be new to real estate. One of the most appealing aspects of investing in real estate is that our properties can generate value in multiple ways and all at the same time. There's the ongoing cash flow from the rental income. We can make improvements to the property that makes it more desirable for tenants. And in this, we can start charging higher rents. But the greatest benefit is that our properties usually increase in value due to inflation. And the success of John's plan to acquire this building rested on successfully hitting each of these important factors. But when we as brokers are the buyers, extra steps are needed to avoid conflicts of interest and the possibility of costly litigation. All right. So so you essentially created a solution that your client loved yep. because it, it met their needs. 
However, you're you're in the real estate business. You're in a, you're a broker, mm-hmm. and so you know our our task is to bring the highest and best offer yes. to our client. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, if we end up being the solution, there can also be a conflict of interest. Yes, yes. So, how do you handle those types of situations? You know, it's 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 difficult, um, and it's a fine line. And we're um, transparent, and I think that's the biggest thing. They want to sell it on the open market. Here's the value that we think they could get. And in this case, um, we actually put it on the market. Um, but as we started to market it, uh, and a couple of people came in and looked at it and said, boy, it's going to need a lot of work, it furthered their concerns that even at that price they were going to have. So, you know, and we had a relationship with them. So we were transparent with them on, on that. And it also, it helped fill their need uh, on that. Now, I had another situation where we purchased a building. There was not a seller carryback uh, that I had a relationship with that owner for many, many years. Owner comes and says, we want to sell. Again, came up with a, a valuation that very realistic, very transparent, used comps, all that stuff, suggested and requested that that uh, they have an appraisal done. They looked at my price and said, that's too low. We want X. And I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to say I think we came up with a valuation of around you know 750 or something like that and they wanted 850 or something. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I said boy that that number's not going to work. Um I mean it it would work. We can put it out on the market and see what happens. Again, same process. I started talking and I said, "Look, if you would consider this price, we would consider actually buying it." Mm-hmm. But again, happy to put it on the market. But I know all the hair on the building at this point. Again, same situation. So let me know what you want to do. The, the positive with us, we're going to have an inspection, but we already know. And we're not going to come back, beat it up. We'll just kind of hammer out a deal. And uh, that owner said, you know what? I, I'd prefer that anyway. And, and quite frankly, you've been handling this building for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the first one I would want to buy it anyway. So it was kind of a relationship situation Certainly. there. You know, more than anything, they they trusted us, mm-hmm. and the two carrybacks had a had a had a sincere trust that we would be doing what we said we we're going to do, which we have. So, as a firm, do you have a, a policy pro or con with your with your agents um, as far as them owning real estate? And how do how do you frame that in your shop? Um, we you know we we allow them to own real estate, but it has to be disclosed what they're doing. It all has to be above board. You know, we we may sell seventy buildings this year. You know, of those seventy buildings, I think that maybe two of them actually were, uh, there were brokers that possibly were involved in, in something in the acquisition, maybe maybe only one. You know, they're brokers first and brokers typically are, that's their, you know, they, they'll they look at a deal and and they want to sell it and, and get the commission and, and move on and help their client. And, and, and But every once in a while, yeah, one, one pops in and they say, boy, this is something I would really like to purchase. And that's when I kind of sit down with them and talk to them about, because we don't ever want to have a situation where we, you know, maybe undervalue a property for the wrong reason. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the, um, the quandary they would run in. Sure. We're in the business to make money, but we have a responsibility to represent our client and to get the best offer for their property. And that is a tough balancing act when potentially purchasing a property from one of your clients. First step I would recommend is talk to your broker. Understand what are the rules and regulations within your shop. Second, disclose, disclose, disclose. If your client is willing for you to buy the property, it needs to be all in writing where it's understood what every party's doing, that you're intending to make money. Third, I would hire an attorney to draw up some sort of document that protects everybody. You've told me about three or four deals that 
have gone well. You know, a lot of times we learn the most by making mistakes. Right. Tell me about a deal um, that you wish you hadn't done. Well, I can I can lump them into several um, <laughs> deals. Good. And a, and a time. There was a time in this wonderful uh, market where foreclosures were getting pretty rampant. And certainly Arizona oh, had, boy. had no shortage of those. So we were doing a lot of fix and flips. We, my business partner, uh, had done several of those in his past life, and and a fix and flip uh, for fi- what type of a product? residential single family homes. Okay. So we, uh, at, at one point, hooked up with a guy, and he was going down to the trustees' sales and buying the properties, and he was our partner, and we were fixing them up and and making money, and it was it was easy. So what know? was a typical deal profile? Like um, how much how much were you paying for the Let's just always back then, but let's just say uh, we pay eighty thousand for a house and spend. go in, spend five to ten thousand dollars, and maybe sell it for one fifteen. Okay, you know, so and we just kept doing them, and it was easy. And then what started happening is we buy these at the trustee sale, and next thing you know, there are people coming to us say, "Hey, can we buy it from you before you even do anything? And we'll give you five ten thousand dollars, <laughs> and just you just get out of the way, and we'll just buy it from you." And so we were buying the. The, the house to flip and we were flipping it before we even did anything with it. So it was kind of a crazy time and quite frankly, it was distracting me a little bit from the day-to-day commercial brokerage because right. I was out looking at properties and, and things like the that. The juice was there. It was, it was, it was crazy time. So, uh, and again, it was easy, easy, easy. And it got so big. Then some of these people that were coming to us <laughs> started buying them, needed a little bit of extra cash to help. So we lent them some money and we just got, <laughs> bottom line is we got cocky. Uh-huh. And we were making a lot of money, but we were spending a lot to buy these. And so, were you sort of like was inventory building up? Well, inventory was starting to build up because we were now thinking that anything we bought, we were going to be able to sell, right? right? And it was easy. But then, what ends up happening is there becomes a little bit of a bidding war, and then becomes you're willing to pay a little bit more, and maybe the spreads are a little tighter, and then the market starts turning a little bit that the buyers aren't quite out there and their interest rates are a little higher. And the next thing you know, we had these houses where the values, uh, we weren't be able to make any money. I, I, in hindsight, we, we, we stayed in too long. Mm-hmm. We got, again, a little cocky. And so some of them, we just took the hit, goodbye, move them out. And then there's some other ones in some better areas. And we said, well, why don't we hold these and make them rentals? And eventually, you know, let the market work its way up and we can get out of those. And, and that's what happened. In those sort of manias, it's interesting. I mean, it is absolutely the human nature to keep pushing it. And then you end up giving back most of what you made, right. you know, right. in those, those types of situations. Yeah. I have several friends that lost their homes, their personal residences. You know, we were fortunate that we had done so many prior that we had enough, we had the wherewithal to survive that or else it could have done us in. I mean, I, you know, I, I People took seconds out on their home and uh, used all that equity in their house to buy these properties. And then all of a sudden we're feeding the properties, lost them, took their line, went to their house. And, you know, I mean, it was it was crazy. They were making so much money, but they lost everything. Scary time if you're not careful. Even experienced brokers can make mistakes. And as John has mentioned, bad decisions and poor debt management can lead to financial ruin. It's important to keep a level head, especially in a fast paced market. It's important to remain humble enough to listen to others, do your research, and know the market. But know this, at the end of the day, the bank will get their money. What are some traits that you've seen, because you've been doing this long enough, 
um, that's pretty consistent with your top performers. Well, you just said it consistent. Um, consistency with them, with our top brokers, is is just always being in front of the marketplace, letting them know. Uh, you know, several several of them have worked some areas of you know specific geographic areas. Um, it's hard to stay in one geographic area, but at least know some geographic areas so that you can be the expert mm-hmm. and just consistency and follow up and consistency. And it just takes time. And, you know, one of my, uh, top guys who's a partner now, uh, for years, I mean, he, he's still doing deals on phone calls he may have made seven years ago because he consistently follows up and follows up and follows up. And it's just a matter of time yeah. before it turns into a transaction or a potential transaction or a referral probably because they want to say, leave me alone already, but, but uh, it's consistency and, and persistence. And I think, you know, if you look at the, the, the total universe of brokers, consistency is actually a pretty rare trait. Yes. With the yes. majority of yes. them. Yeah. Cause they get frustrated. Sure. You know, and they get those hangups and those phone calls and that, that don't work. But, but if they're, uh, but if they're persistent in their, in, in this, then inevitably they're going to land some of this. And yeah, you know, and consistency isn't really a skill. I mean, it's not like, you know, if you if you have long legs, you can run fast. Right, right. You know what I mean? You're blessed with that. Yeah. Consistency is just a practice. Yes. Commercial real estate is not rocket science. I mean, I, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not curing diseases. We're not, you know, we're not doing brain surgery. We're just, we're helping facilitate the needs of the business, the needs of the building owners. And a lot of it's through the relationships, you know, the, the long term and working with them and you know, getting to know people. And, and you're right. I mean, it's it's pretty easy business if you stick with it long enough. Well, and you've done, you've done it for 26 years. That's a pretty long time. Yeah, I started so, when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, maybe not. Um, so, so you know, looking back, what's some what's some business advice you would give to yourself if you know you're talking to your 20 year old self? Right. Well, I, I, my 20-year-old self happens to be the fact that I have a 21-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old daughter. So I kind of look at them and I see yeah. a little bit of myself with longer hair. Um, but uh, my, you know, I, I, I kind of tell my daughters, there's, there's three, three kind of rules that I've learned over time to, to try to live by um, or to, to be consistent with. And I call them my three R's. One is read. Read like crazy. Read books. Uh, read articles. Whatever it is. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I read a ton and a lot of it is uh, business related types of books, goals, habits, bo- you know, those types of things. Um, so I'm always reading something. Most of them are, ne- are never finished. <laughs> I've got a lot of unfinished books, right? but I have a whole library of them. Um, so that's the, uh, the first thing. The second thing is I tell them uh, relationships and how important those relationships are to get involved, get uh, their organizations, sororities, other things, get involved in uh Youth groups, whatever it is, and in my in my case, you know, I've done that. I I didn't do it as much when I was twenty as I did it. Started doing it when I was maybe thirty five. Mm-hmm. So that would have been something I would have done a lot more of sooner. Now, as a result of doing it, like organizations like TCN Worldwide or or, or some of these other organizations, I built unbelievable relationships that that not only create business opportunities, but but you know, learning and knowledge and friendships and things like that. And then my third um, R is reputation. And I, you know, I tell them, watch what you do, watch what you post online, you know, especially in today's world. We didn't have that when we were at that age. And, you know, one of our biggest points of success as a business has been the uh, consistent uh, 
um, comments from other people that tell us you have a, you guys have a great reputation, you know, and, and, and part of that is if a broker comes to my office with an issue and says, what should I do? My first response is what's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And they usually can answer that. And if they can't and they don't know, then we try to work together and figure out what the right thing to do is because ultimately, again, reputation, you know, years to build, seconds to break. Absolutely. So that's good. That's good. Anything else um, that you'd want to add or say or? You know, the, the thing I would tell brokers that are looking to own properties is keep your eyes open. Um, you know, going back to the relationship thing, uh, I several buildings that I've acquired over the years, um, have been strictly by me knowing people. And, and uh, we you know, just real quick side story. We bought the building next door to us about two years ago for our property management firm. We were out of space and I kept going to that owner and I said, and he'd owned it since 2001. I said, look, we need more space. So if you're ever thinking of selling, please, please, please come to me first. And he says, okay, I will, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. Well, sure enough, he came over one day a couple of years ago and he said, okay, and we sat down, we hammered out a deal in about 24 hours, and we ended up buying the building. But had we not had this relationship and telling him that I wanted the building. Right. Because had he not known, he never would have come to ask. So it's just sometimes just asking. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's something I would I would tell people to be consistent about. Tell If you think there's a building that you are interested in, tell that owner. If you ever think of selling it, I'm interested in it. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. And eventually they may. Yeah, they will. I mean, yeah. at some point, everybody has to sell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> One way or another. Yeah, and let that let you be their first call. John, this has been fantastic. Good. Thank really you. Really has. Thank you. Thank you I for appreciate uh, it. sharing your stories and thank you. You too. And good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Can't wait to hear it. I always ask guests on the Broker Lord podcast about their very first building that they bought. And every story so far has been different. But this is the first time I've heard that an office copier was a central part of that process. I didn't see that coming. But beyond the copier, John's story and his success is rooted in relationships. And that is part of every story I've heard. Have meaningful conversations and network because you never know when and where you'll find your next buyer, seller, or the next great deal. It always starts with a conversation. Getting your free Broker Lord t-shirt is easy. Subscribe to the podcast and review it online. Then email us at Derek at BrokerLord.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at BrokerLord.com. Let us know your size and address and the t-shirt is yours. Supplies are limited, so get your t-shirt today. It's so soft you want to sleep in it every night. Got questions? Send an email to Derek at BrokerLord.com. That's Derek with five letters, D-E-R-E-K at BrokerLord.com. I would really love to hear from you. That wraps up my trip from Arizona. Thanks for joining me and thanks to Shannon Walchuk for sponsoring us and making this possible. Don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Derek Walchuk and this is the Broker Lord Podcast.